This is Republic of INSEAD, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for reunion. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast edition and enjoy the show. Alrighty. Here we are again. Good day, wherever in the world you are. Good morning to my guest today, who is joining us from West Coast US, but I shall say no more. Let's see what her Republic of INSEAD entry of 20 years ago has to say. Open quotation. Though at first appearing very reserved and properly English, she was soon spicing up campus life with superb parties such as the sensational summer ball and outings as our social rep. Furthermore, we have her affinity to find champagne to thank for many well-worthy hangovers. She certainly has a quiet side though as she is one to enjoy a peaceful afternoon in the botanical garden or with a good book. Finally, by the time and care she puts into the gifts she makes to friends and the delicacies she cooks up for her guests, I will remember her as a thoughtful and generous person. End quotation. Well, I have to admit I've done a bit of a selective reading here. Some shall stay on paper only for those who have the paper copies. That's it, people. But there was a mention of dancing, VIP club, and winning a prize for a weekend to go off. You didn't go back then, but presumably, having lived in India, you have been there since, right? I have since then. <laughs> then there you go. Well, welcome to the Republic of INSEAD po- podcast. So let's see, where do we begin? Generous cooking, delicacies, reading books. Which of these activities is still big in your on your agenda? Yeah, it's funny. I haven't looked at that um, profile for a very long time. <laughs> Well, we still host a lot of parties, so that it's fun to to hear about um, uh, about that from my profile because I think that that is still true. Although, you know, I haven't actually been able to drink any alcohol for three years, so unfortunately, I've had to cut back on the champagne, which is very <laughs> sad. <laughs> but we still do we still do a lot of socialising and host a lot of parties, so Ooh, that's still that's still. And going so, on. Uh, West Coast US, do you want to run us? through the last 20 years, like a quick version, five-minute version, 20 sure. years, five minutes? Yes. So, so when I graduated from INSEAD, so it's funny because I often talk to candidates about when they're preparing for their applications for INSEAD, you know, what they're going to say in their applications about their career goals. And when I applied to INSEAD, My career goal was to work in the media industry in France when I graduated um, from the school because I had been working in management consulting in Paris pre-INSEAD and I'd been doing a lot of work with telecoms and media clients and I wanted to go into industry when I graduated. And when I graduated, 
I ended up working for the International Finance Corporation in Jakarta. So absolutely nothing to do with what I said in my application. So, you know, it's just a, an example of how transformative the INSEAD MBA is, I think, that often you go in with these aspirations and you get exposed to things that you would never have imagined. And I ended up doing something that would have never possibly occurred to me beforehand. So, so yes, uh, so I started off in Indonesia. Actually, my first week of work post-MBA was, was tra a training course, which was in Bali at a beach hotel. So, yeah, that was a nice, that was a nice uh, gentle reintroduction to the world of work um, after INSEAD. And I worked, um, so I worked for the IFC um, for a couple of years and uh, worked on various projects around Indonesia. Really, really, really enjoyed that. It was fascinating work and, you know, absolutely extraordinary country with incredible diversity. And then after that, Actually, I was contacted by INSEAD. They were looking for someone to head up admissions, marketing and financial aid, uh, which was a new position that they'd created in the MBA program. And I had worked quite closely with Doris Soman Powell during the MBA program on, on a few things. And so for some reason, she thought of me and they contacted me and I interviewed for the position. And I had never actually thought about working in education or going back to INSEAD, but um, it seemed like a really interesting opportunity because it was a chance to work at, you know, obviously I, I was passionate about the school, loved the community, and um, was very intrigued by the opportunity to, to work in admissions. And as it was a new position, they were looking to affect some change in in the in the department and um, and so my consulting background came in very useful um, we're looking to sort of re-engineer some of the processes and revise the strategy to a certain extent so it was an, a wonderful opportunity to apply some of those consulting skills that I had in a very different context and and so and so I decided to go for it. And, and um, by that time, I had um, got engaged to my now husband, Eriberto. So, so then he ended up quitting his lovely, cushy expat job with Cenex to follow me to France. And so in 2005, we moved to, um, we both moved to France. And he really, really took a chance because no, he spoke not a word of French. He rocked up in Paris thinking, no, I'm a smart guy. I'll find a job, right? It'll be fine. <laughs> not realizing that it's not so easy in, in France to, um, to land a great job if you don't know anybody and you don't speak a word of the language. So um, I think he had a bit, of, uh, a bit of a shock when he arrived and, and realized that it wasn't going to be quite straightforward as he thought. But he was very persistent um, and very supportive of the move because, you know, I was really happy working at Intied. Um, So we lived actually in Fontainebleau for a while. And then after a few months, um, he, he was very lucky. So he landed a great job at Alstom Transport. So the company that builds the, you know, the, the high-speed trains and the metro systems. And so we ended up staying in Paris for seven years. 
and we had four kids um, while we were living there. <laughs> so I inflicted four maternity leaves on Insead. They were incredibly uh, generous and supportive through that time. And, you know, it was, a, it was a great place to work whilst I was having kids because, you know, it's a very family-friendly organization and I was able to do a lot of work at home as well um, and, and sort of juggle things um, so that I was able to keep on top of my job while managing my growing family. So, uh, you know, I, I loved working at INSEAD. You know, it was, it was a really wonderful opportunity. I have to say that it's not quite as much fun working there as it was being a student. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I discovered that when I, when I started working there. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's not quite as much fun. You know, I don't get invited to all the parties anymore. You know, I'm not one of the cool crowd. But still, uh, you know, it's just a wonderful community and I really enjoyed being part of that. And I really enjoy being part of admissions because it's such a sort of core part of the school and has such a big impact on shaping the future of the school. So I felt that that was a huge privilege and a great honor to, to be part of that. And, and so I did that for seven years. And I observed that whilst over the years that the more and more of our students had been working with coaches and getting advice from coaches, admissions coaches, when they were applying to the school. And when I dug into it a little bit, I realized that they weren't always getting great advice and sometimes had been working with people who weren't very well qualified to to advise them because there are no barriers to entry, right, to the admissions yeah. coaching business. Anyone can throw up a website and say that they're an admissions coach for applying to any particular school. And so I realized that there was a gap in the market for a team of people who actually really understood the inside track of how admissions works. And so after seven years at INSEAD, when I felt that I was ready for a new challenge, um, and I actually always had had an entrepreneurial itch, I'd always had an interest in doing my own thing one day. And I think partly that was that I am the daughter of an entrepreneur. My dad had his own business and I grew up in a family business environment and I think when you've sort of grown up with that those discussions at the dinner table every night then it does have a big impact on you so I I spotted this opportunity and so I started um, Fortuna Admissions so this is um, so it's an MBA admissions coaching firm and with three partners and so I teamed up with Judith Hodara who was head of admissions at Wharton and um, Matt Simmons, who is a serial entrepreneur in business education. And so that was 11 years ago now. Time has really flown by. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel very lucky because I love the work that I do. I love the fact that I get to work with candidates who are all over the world, who have that, you know, wonderful diversity of background that is for, so familiar to, to you as a member of the NCI community. You know, those are the types of people that I'm working with every day. And whereas when I was working at INSEAD in admissions, you know, you're dealing with so many people and so many applications that you spend actually very little time on anyone individually. Now I get to really build a relationship with people over time and sort of hold their hand through what can be quite a stressful process. And so 
I, I really enjoy doing that. And it's great because it's flexible. I can do that from anywhere in the world. And so I started this when we were living in Paris. Then we moved to India. So we lived in India for two and a half years for Eriberto's job. And then we moved to the Bay Area of San Francisco. And um, so I've been here for, I think it's coming up for eight years. Wow. So, so you know, I, I really appreciate the flexibility I have. I work from home. And I also, I'm very grateful to have wonderful business partners. And as I mentioned, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur. And unfortunately, you know, he had a business partner who, where things turned sour after several years. And it was very stressful for my dad. And, you know, he had a lot of health problems because of that. And I am very grateful that I have wonderful business partners who are friends, who I would trust my life with. You know, it, it's it's gone very well. And I think those relationships are super important. And, you know, that makes a big difference to the uh, my, my business success, but also the quality of my life. Right. So basically, you've been in business education for... 18 years more or less or yes yes yeah. that's true yeah so, yeah so this let's i just came back from a weekend at INSEAD and you know there were a lot of talk about where things are headed with business education but let's hear your view what have you seen in this 18 plus two so these 20 years how has business education changed what are you seeing from the outside at the moment how are things evolving? Yeah, well, so, I mean, one big change that I've seen as regards candidates and what they talk about and what they're looking for is the desire to really have a positive impact and they're interested in sustainability. I think, you know, that is really core to what a lot of candidates are seeking now. And that was more of a niche interest when I first started at admissions that you know candidates these these days really want to use their degree and and use their education to have a positive impact in the world um and that's much more widespread than it was uh 15 years ago for example so you know i think that's great and and schools have also responded to that right you know INSEAD has invested a lot in weaving in, uh, sustainability into the curriculum Another big change, of course, is the increase of, of the percentage of women who are represented at business school. You know, when we were in Seattle, women were a, a distinct minority, and that has increased, and that has really been a, a long-term effort and sustained effort by INSEAD and all of the schools. And it has, it has been challenging, but they've made a lot of progress. And some of the schools are reaching parity in the US at least. So I think, you know, that's a very positive evolution. Um, hasn't completely filtered through, of course, to the upper levels of business management yet, but we can hope that it will do ultimately. Then, I mean, there is a greater focus now on diversity, equity, inclusion in, in schools. Uh, you know, in the US than there had much more so in the last few years than there had been. Something that I think will be interesting to watch in the US is that you may be aware that there have been some court cases at the undergraduate level about the... about admissions and the um, and and groups claiming that they are discriminated against because um, schools like Harvard 
are supposedly have caps on certain ethnic groups because, for example, Asians typically do very well at high school and the bar is higher for them to get into schools like Harvard. And, um, and so there have been court cases about this. And, and so this, I think, may ultimately filter through to graduate school and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think it may be a problem for admissions. And, you know, actually Harvard and Stanford have lost their heads of admissions um, for the business schools and they have not yet managed to recruit replacements. So both of the um, heads of admissions actually on the same day, about 12 months ago, announced that they were leaving. And um, of course, both schools launched um, a big search process, hired headhunters, and um, neither of them have managed to find anybody. No one wants to be in the hot seat. No, (laughs) which is very interesting, right? So I think it is, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over time. And, you know, that's, I think it's potentially more of an issue right now in the US, but it will ultimately have impact on schools elsewhere. So, you know, a big question right now is how AI will play out in in education. Um, Schools are somewhat cagey right now about their policies on this. It's very tricky for business schools because on one hand, they need to embrace it because students need to learn about this. They need to be on the cutting edge. They need to be able to leverage this. But on the other hand, they're academic institutions with standards to uphold, right? And they don't want to, they 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 want they don't want people to be using AI to shortcut their academic work or to shortcut their applications. And so, quite frankly, they are struggling to figure out their policies on this. Mm. And so, it will be interesting to see how how that plays out. I was saying business education, you know, there, there have been, um, of course, you know, the, the, the emergence of online MBAs, masters, the masters in management. Um, so INSEAD launched the masters in management after several other schools had done so. So that's a pre-experienced program. There are, there are, they also launched the masters in finance. Um, so there are more options now beyond just the full-time MBA. And so, you know, I, th- I think that's a good thing. There are more routes into business education for young people now than there were 20 years ago. And this, this debate about the one year versus two years, it's getting more and more time, it's getting more and more compressed somehow and becoming more precious. So is this an ongoing debate or it's because yes. the education as such is getting a bit of a squeeze from yes. what I yeah. hear. So how do all these factors? Yes, I think with the top tier schools in the US, they're probably going to stick with the two year model. But I I certainly think, you know, the one year program is, and I think INSEAD's model in general has really stood the test of time and was incredibly visionary, right? The one year format, um, which was launched at a time when time was not such Mm. such a premium. Um, and I, I think that that, that one-year um, format has even more value now than, um, than it did back then. And, and the international DNA of the program is even more relevant now, perhaps, than it was back then. So I think that INSEAD's formula 
is is incredibly powerful and you know quite frankly difficult difficult to beat and many schools have tried to replicate it but i think insead is in a very strong position in many ways because it's a school that doesn't have any other school that really offers exactly the same thing mm. right and i still um speak to candidates who only apply to insead um, because that's what they want and there isn't really another school that it offers exactly the same thing and that is not necessarily the case for other schools for example the top us schools right mm. so i think insead has a very powerful formula and a and a very good competitive positioning uh, and mm. that's really thanks to the 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 vision of of the the founders of the school but you know as well as uh, of course of the the leadership throughout the years and and developments such as having the the singapore campus and so on have added mm. a lot to to the the proposition mm. There you go. So INSEAD still rules, as far as we are concerned. <laughs> right. So speaking of education, and because among our class, there are quite a few people with kids coming close to graduation. In fact, some, have, some are already in college or university. So do you have any short comments to make there, education at the undergraduate level? I know you do not advise on that, but you surely have more of an overview than the rest of us. Yes, yeah, yeah. And my kids are getting up there now. I have a 17-year-old, so I'm going through that. So, I, I mean, I think it's, it's very complicated, but I think it's important for our generation to keep in mind that it is more competitive now to get into the top schools than it was when we went through um, the system. So, you know, I'm very aware that I'm trying not to put too much pressure on my kids because they are aware that their parents went to top schools. They live in Silicon Valley where everyone wants to go to top schools. I think there's a lot of pressure on kids these days to to succeed and to prove themselves. And I, I think that parents, the role of parents should be to actually uh, help kids find the right fit rather than push them towards um, sort of channeling them towards the, the necessarily, you know, pushing them towards the very top schools because it's just much harder to get into the, the top schools than it was 20, 30 years ago. And I don't think that you have to go to um, a Harvard or a Cambridge or, you know, one of those Ivy League type schools to succeed in life. And we have plenty of examples of, of people we know who, who have done incredibly well in life, who have not been to those types of schools. And I, I think that uh, it, it, it's important to really focus on, on that fit and helping kids to find their passions find the academic passions and find uh, an environment for them where they will flourish rather than get too bogged down and focusing on getting into the highest ranked school. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, I think there's just a lot of, I, I'm concerned these days with the younger generation about all of the, um, you know, the pressure, the mental health issues, you know, or, of course, also this generation, they've been through, 
the pandemic, um, certainly in the US, well, here in California anyway, uh, the kids were out of school for a long time. And I think that had had an impact. You know, my kids did not enter a classroom for over 12 months. And, uh, and you know, all of those things have, have had, a, had a mental health impact. And so my concern with at least getting my kids towards undergraduate is really helping them to find an environment where they feel happy and they're going to flourish rather than focusing on, you know, what's the, what's the highest ranked school that you can get into. Mm. Um, And I'm very conscious of, of the stress that they, um, they get, that they can absorb at school from their classmates as well. I guess it depends on, the environment that you're in, I think it's probably worse here in Silicon Valley than it is in some other environments because here, you know, it's uh, people are very educated, it's very competitive, it's just that's kind of bit of a hot house environment, right? Um, and so, if we were living somewhere else, um, then that might not be so much the case. But I feel that, um, at least from where I'm sitting, that as a parent, it's important to actually dial things down a bit rather than push my kids and and um, hold their hand through the process but not not push them too much Mm. because you know life is life is a marathon it's not a sprint and you know what the feedback that I hear from from undergraduate institutions and from also from counselors who work in undergrad and and people who work at undergraduate level is that there are too many kids who who have had you know everything everything has been managed for them they and they have been channeled towards getting into great schools and they've made it but then they don't have the executive functioning skills to manage life um, and manage the challenges that come along with that. And, and they are suffering because they get to Stanford and they get a B for the first time in their life and they are not the top dog anymore, right? Because they're in a class full of people who are also incredibly bright. And, uh, and so there's, there are big issues at the top schools with um, kids coming in who who are not well prepared for life, right? And so I, yeah, yeah, they don't have um, that uh, that maturity um, to deal with the challenges of life. And so I think as parents, it's important to prepare our kids for for the longer term and not focus on the short term Mm. of just, you know, let's just get them into the best possible school that they they can get into and then everything will work out. That's at least that's yeah. my my perspective. There you go. So since we are speaking of kids and you have four of them, let me switch the topic and um, ask that question: How did you manage four kids and uh, business? Well, first career and then business. We heard of Vinciad and the French. So one tip for future mothers is France may be a better place than many others yeah. to have. Yeah, (laughs) but other than this advice, um, what was challenging in this whole? I mean, having your own business, no matter how light touch it is, is having business. So, 
Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, working from home for me has been great because that gives me flexibility, right? So I manage my own hours. I can work around my kids' schedule to a certain extent, although it's not always easy because, of course, you know, home can be quite noisy sometimes. And then, you know, the pandemic was a bit of a nightmare because suddenly I had four kids working from home. And I had a big increase in work because a lot more people applied to business school during the pandemic. And so, um, you know, that was a bit of a double whammy. Yes, it, it really was. But nevertheless, I mean, the flexibility of being able to work from home has been has definitely been a blessing. And then, you know, a good support structure. So we have all, you know, in France, we had. We had a great nanny, uh, then we moved to India. I mean, of course, we had lots of help at home there. Um, we have someone um, who comes in every day um, here in California. So, you know, we've, we have always, you know, invested in support at home mm. because, you know, I just, we, we can't do everything, right? Yeah. And so what we can outsource, we do. So, you know, I, I, I do my work, I spend time with the kids, I am not going to, um, you know, I'm not doing the laundry or, or washing <laughs> dishes or anything like that, because, I, you know, you can't, you can't do everything, right? Yeah. So some things you have to outsource. And so we have um, kind of figured out a system and, and, you know, I think that's, that's made a big difference. And, and, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to, to afford that, but mm-hmm. Um, and then I think just, you know, discipline makes a big difference, right? You just got to be disciplined. Working from home, you just have to, there's so many other things that you could be doing, right? I could go, I could um, go for a walk with my dogs. I could, you know, paint my nails. I could go for lunch with friends. I could go shopping. There's so many other things that I would probably rather be doing than plowing through 500 emails. But you just have to be really disciplined about it. And I think that that's probably something that I am fairly good at. I'm lo- there's lots of things I'm not so good at, but I think that just having a good routine is something that I am quite good at. And just making myself get my head down when I need to has 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 been uh, has made made a big difference. Okay, so give us one thing you are not good at. Oh. <laughs> Well, I think um, maintaining my calm with teenagers, I haven't mastered that skill, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I'm the same, and he's not even a teenager. Our son is six <laughs> and a half, so. <laughs> there you go. I, I think I have, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure that I have managed my stress levels terribly well over the past couple of years, and I probably need to have cut, carved, I should have carved out a bit more time for myself. I kind of grew up with quite a Protestant work ethic. And so I grew up where in an environment where I was always, you know, you kind of always doing something. So I'm kind of always on, right. I'm always working or dealing with kids. or I very rarely like sit down and read a book or watch TV very, very rarely. And so I think that um, I need to learn to do that a little bit more. See, you need to brush up on your reading books thing, which was written about you 20 years ago. Yes. So you, yeah. you just have to remind yourself. There you go. Well, INSEAD. So it's been a lot about INSEAD here, but let me take one more INSEAD connection. And it is 
my agenda with fundraising and all that jazz. Uh, you're a green pin holder and you are probably a champion. You've given 13 out of the last 20 years. So in terms of consistency, you're in the top, top, top of, of our curve. So, so give me your logic about giving back and uh, in general and then giving back to INSEAD in particular and what's your story? Why do you give back? Yeah, well, I, w I was the fortunate beneficiary of a scholarship. And so I was very um, appreciative. Of, co of course, that made a huge difference to me at the time. And so I feel that it's important to, to, to give back and, and pass that benefit on to other people. And, you know, I, I see every day how transformative INSEAD is. And I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to continue to help people access edu an education like INSEAD and other top business schools. And, it, you know, it, it's tremendously exciting to me to, to be part of that. And I think, you know, whatever we can do to support people on that journey, it's, it's worth making that effort, right? And when I was at INSEAD, I mean, I was head of admissions, but I was also head of financial aid. So I had the um, honor of dispersing those scholarships and of managing that process and I saw how much financial need there was and we never had enough money right we were never able to support everyone um, that needed it yeah. we were never able to um, give as much money as we wanted to and so I know how painful that is firsthand and I would like to be able to do a bit. And if I've done 30 years, I, I, it's probably the other years I just forgot. But I would like to, um, you know, do, do my part in helping to fill that gap. Because um, if everybody makes a little effort, it has a huge impact. And, you know, of course, INSEAD is bringing people from really all over the world. And a lot of those students don't have haven't had the ability to save up a lot of money before the program and so those scholarships make a huge difference and so for me I you know I really believe in that and I just you know I be really believe in the mission of INSEAD and as I said I, I think that it does have a wonderful positioning in the market and, and is a great uh, it really has a it makes a difference in the world and so you know I'm very happy to to support that. Super. Well, I'll be telling you more, everyone, you, everyone, more about this. So stay yeah. tuned. And to move to the last bit of our conversation, which is the quick round of questions, if you are ready. And I sure. don't know if you have a cheat sheet or not, but all right. So let's start. Proudest achievement. Proudest achievement. I would say uh, my four kids. All right. Success <laughs> for you is? Success is... A balanced life. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but that's an aspiration. <laughs> Happiness is? Happiness is exploring a new place. Hmm. Biggest regret? Not putting my foot down with my mother-in-law a bit earlier. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Mothers-in-laws, beware. What keeps you awake at night or you sleep well? Oh, God, way too many things. <laughs> I actually don't sleep terribly well, but I, ugh, I, I, 
what what helps me go back to sleep is I actually listen to podcasts, but I won't I won't be listening to your your podcast to help me go back to sleep. I like to um, listen to things like David Attenborough or Desert mm. Island Disc, and that helps me go back to sleep. But I just think um, at night everything seems so much more dramatic, doesn't it? So mm. lots of different things. Kids keep me up kids. at night. There you go. Wish you had known or that someone had told you. I think that one of the things that, you know, I wasn't fully aware of when I was in it and I think could be addressed and perhaps it is addressed more now is, you know, it's a very international community and a lot of international mobility. And I didn't think I was, I don't think I was fully aware of the challenge for international couples of moving around mm. and managing two careers. Mm. Right. And, um, and I was quite shocked when I moved to Jakarta um, and I, I moved to Jakarta specifically because Eriberta was there and, and, and he was working there. And so that's why I wanted to get a job in Indonesia. And the expat community, um, it was pretty much the men were working and the women weren't working. Yeah. And I was really taken aback by that. And so we have been lucky to be able to figure that out between us. And sometimes he's followed me and sometimes I followed him. And it's worked out pretty well. But it hasn't been easy. And I think that that's something that could have been addressed better when we were at business school, given that we were probably not the only ones about to dive into that challenge. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, even before you add the international dimension, even couples, if both of them are in careers uh, in the same country or in their home country, it could be challenging. I have a number of female friends who have been in consulting and they would say what you said, as in at the partners' events when they go, their husband yeah. is mostly with the wives, and right. their husband being a working etc. So, so it's complicated, yeah. right? Yeah. So it I, is. yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, there are so many things I wish someone had told me yes. a thousand years yeah. ago. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, what would you change? Actually. So the so the one thing that I would change is that I think I've probably try to I, I think I could have delegated a bit more um, I think I've tried to do too many things myself both mm. in my work and in my personal life mm. and I think I would have been more effective if I had found ways to delegate more delegate more and keep the mother-in-law in check right right <laughs> retirement ever never how do you think about that we are far well, away from it, but still. Yes, yes, we are a long way away from that. <laughs> I am very happy with what I'm doing right now. I'm not sure how things will evolve. I I would be very happy to carry on working part-time for a long time, and I think Eriberto feels the same. I think that both of us would be a bit bored if we had no professional interest. So I think the ideal would be that we would have perhaps some sort of advisory consulting type role into our 60s and 70s perhaps but not um, working full-time but mm. something to keep the old gray cells going there you are if you had to pick one book that everyone should read what do you come up with well I think that one book that I go back to is um, Blue Ocean Strategy mm. I think that you know, there's a lot of really good 
learnings from that, which I have applied and revisited. And so, you know, I think the, that's, uh, those professors were, have had a, a really great impact on INSEAD and, and very, you know, had a tremendous reputation that has helped to build visibility for the school as well. So, um, you know, I think it's great what, what um, Rennie Momorn and Chan Kim have done. But I do, I, I do think that, that that sort of seminal book is um, worth reading and rereading. Mm, there you go. Blue Ocean Strategy. There's a new one, by the way. We just got a copy of it when we were on campus. So. Okay, great. <laughs> Most admired public person. Well, I could tell you lots of people who are the least admired. <laughs> well, we can start with that. <laughs> well, the obvious ones, right? Like Putin and Trump and Boris Johnson. <laughs> but, well... I, I I would say that um, you know I, I I'm a big fan of the Obamas and um, you know I think that uh, I, I I miss having President Obama in charge over here and um, you know I think that I feel a little bit depressed about the political environment right now and you know what we've got coming in the in the future years and so i feel rather nostalgic about them mm, yeah and the last one to end on a happy note hopefully are you coming to reunion well i very much hope so as i think i mentioned when we chatted earlier Milena, i've had a few health issues and mm. i have to kind of figure that out but um i'm very much hoping that i'll be able to get over I would fingers, love to see everybody. Fingers crossed for October 6th in Fontainebleau and the gala at the Chateau on the October 7th. And I can finally officially say, for those who didn't figure it out, I'm sure everyone did though. This was a conversation with Caroline Diarte Edwards, co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and MBA Admissions Coach. So thank you very much for your time, Caroline. And hopefully we see you in October. And uh, stay tuned for more. Thank you. Thank you so much. You were listening to the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D Podcast Edition. It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and dare I say colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of INSEAD yearbook produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you, Oli and team, for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D podcast edition am I, Milena Ivanova. Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from Dare Films Productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6th, 8th, 2023. Thank you for listening. <laughs>